in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Lizzie Haynes, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome, all you lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable, where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Dustin Melbardis, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host, Lizzie Haynes. Lizzie, what are you getting up to in wintertime in Louisville? Woohoo! We just celebrated Christmas. We're recording this a day after Christmas, so it's the Christmas hangover time. Everybody's coming <laughs> down from the cookie high... And it's actually really warm and lovely here. It was like 50 degrees. So we're still same old, same old. 50 degrees? Mm-hmm. Wow. Are you taking the kiddos ice skating? No. I've tried taking my oldest roller skating and it was an utter disaster. So Whoa. I'm too afraid to take him out on, on ice. We're not ready. It's one of those things that somehow like roller skating, roller blading just seems street, urban, like skateboarding. Ice skating seems – maybe it's movies make it seem more romantic or more – like, I, I don't know what it is. There's something special about ice skating. Well, I guess not I, do, I agree with that. I do like ice skating. I think it's sweet. I used to live up there. Uh, I, we'd go to the Cherokee Triangle to see all the old houses with the lights on. Yes. we. It's like my favorite part of living here is looking at all of the beautiful lights and the beautiful neighborhoods. It's, it's so much fun and the kids love it. Well, I am a little bit of a Grinch, so I like staying at home. <laughs> we aren't alone, though. <laughs> uh, we have a friend tonight coming to you from the Towel Capes podcast. It is our special guest, Cody Nestor. Hi, guys. Nice to be here. Appreciate you guys having me. Very nice to meet you. You said you'd listen to a couple of our episodes before even getting in contact with us. With yours, I actually listened to your top five guilty pleasure movies. And I, I loved the show. I loved the sort of style of that episode. I'm not going to spoil your choices, but it's also a great length, like bite-sized episode, like 40 minutes. Yeah, we try to keep it uh, light. You know, we know, uh, you know, people try to kind of their their time to listen to podcasts kind of vary. So we we shoot for 30 minutes for some of our uh, supplementary kind of material. And we have our, our kind of main show. We go a little longer, hour, hour and a half sometimes. But we try to keep it short, try to re- respect people's time as much as possible. I've got a question for you, Cody. What is your favorite or least favorite trend? in superhero movies. And I think it's oversaturation, which also kind of leads into the fact of not allowing creative people to be creative. Oversaturation we've seen over the last, I would say five years, especially, you know, Marvel is in its 10 year run. DC has had its issues over the last 10 years or so getting uh, the DCEU off the ground. We just saw it in with Aquaman 2 and it's right now it's oversaturation and it's the quality that we're getting in these films. And we're, we're, we're hiring people just to kind of hire them, not to let them kind of be creative and kind of mold these stories within a universe. We're, we're bringing them on just as directors for hire, writers for hire, churn things out without kind of a creative outlet or creative drive behind them as much anymore it's just kind of hey things you remember let's bring this back if we it's it's kind of lowest common denominator type entertainment Mm -hmm. right now and i think that's what's the the least successful films are kind of suffering from that's a great answer and it and it'll drive people away it drove me away i couldn't keep up 
Yeah, Sam. we've uh, my, me and my co-host we talk often about you know we're, we there is superhero fatigue. There is a, a fatigue not only in the superhero genre but you know other genres like science fiction and things like that. When you look at the Star Wars franchise and these big major franchises that can't move away from the past into the future and create new and compelling narratives and stories for the audience of today, we're just too reliant on the past. Yeah, that well thought out answer. It sounds like you've actually put some thought into that before. I, I wholeheartedly agree uh, about uh, oversaturation. But Lizzie, what's your favorite or least favorite trend in superhero movies right now? So I have two. They're both my favorites. I agree with everything that you just said, Cody. And to put a little bit of positivity because I really had big, big superhero fatigue for a long time. Like I went years without uh, rejecting all Marvel just because it was just too much. But I love, particularly in the old Batman movies with the running, like at the very end when, especially I think in Tim Burton's Batmans where the very end once they've defeated the bad guy, they start running and the like yes. Batman music starts. The That's probably running with the symbol <laughs> on the back. And like, you know, and then, and then he starts running and then Robin yeah. is with him and uh, Batman Forever, and then Batman and Robin has Batman, Robin, and Alicia Silverstone, Batgirl. Um, I think my second would be that I want this to become a trend. So this is more kind of I'm putting it onto the universe, hoping it happens, is that I really enjoyed the most recent Spider-Man movie. And without giving anything away, the reason why I enjoyed it was because it really was like a love letter to everybody that has ever enjoyed watching Spider-Man or the comics or anything like that growing up. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that they just keep that trend up, that they just try to honor the film rather than in the storyline and the characters rather than just trying to like, to your point, Cody, just churn something in the mill for as much money as they can get. It's like just really honor the fans. There is something about potentially taking creative risks, and I suppose that's okay, and you may ruffle some feathers. Uh, But yeah, anything that when you watch it, you can tell is like a love letter to the fans. I I really dig that as well. Um, I'm going to go with, this is a a trend. It's kind of anti our current trend. Uh, This is just my thing, and it's been my thing since I was a teenager, is keep our stories on Earth. I I don't exactly know why, but things matter to me when they're in metropolis or when they're in new york city with spider-man or when they're in gotham city once we go up to space at that point we we've introduced so many variables and so many varying levels of power or powers that it's really hard to keep track of if you're trying at all with your brain to think of like plausible stuff once you get into space it really it really changes stuff up and that's the first step now and i'm not i'm not hating on the new stuff it's not like i've seen most of it but now we are just so easily crossing into other dimensions. That's hard. That is hard to do. It was hard for the, for the writers rooms full of seasoned writers to do with the new 52 or, you know, with comic books back in the day, it's difficult to get it right. And uh, I think some of these movies have gotten it right, but I just think it's difficult. Um, And I would say that with what we're going to cover tonight, uh, we might be dealing with this sort of nice little pocket in time where we weren't quite there yet. Uh, but Cody, I'm going to ask you, what's the last movie you saw? Uh, the last movie I saw was another superhero film. It was uh, Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Nice. Did you like it? 
Uh, I did not care for it. No, it <laughs> suffers from some Ouch. of the things that we're, 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 we're actually talking about right now uh, in terms of that, um, you know, the oversaturation. And mm-hmm. it just it suffers a lot from uh, kind of just they knew it was the last hurrah for the DCEU. The DCEU is ending. The DCU is coming within the next couple of years with a rebooted Superman film from James Gunn. And uh, it was just a lot of, I think, again, directionless. James Wan is the director of that film, and he's made some very interesting, very good films. But uh, I think the writing let it down. Uh, and it's a visually appealing movie. It looks great, but the story and the kind of the heart isn't there. But uh that there are a little bit of little charming moments that it does have here and there, but overall it didn't work for me as a, as a whole. It's, it's so odd that we have a chance with a superstar like Jason Momoa and this franchise to have it be something that 16-year-old me would have gone gaga for, and I have zero interest. I think I saw a YouTube clip of him fighting Black Manta, and I'm like, that's cool. That's kind of all I need, though. Five minutes worth of that world is kind of all I needed. And it's too bad that we talk more about the movie production of the DCEU or add in however letter, many letters as possible than we do about the actual movies. Mm-hmm. It's really more about the, the Hollywood side more. Uh, Lizzie, yep. what's the last movie that you saw? Well, in honor of tonight's movie, I saw X-Men First Class. That's solid, solid movie. I absolutely love it. I love seeing James McAvoy and is it Michael Fassbender? Is that yes? I love seeing them together as this awesome duo. And Jennifer Lawrence does an amazing job as Mystique. It is just a great prequel, and I loved every minute of it. That was the first one that I didn't see in theaters, and I said man, are we getting too much of this at a, at a time? And when I got to it, I'm like, oh, this is as good as advertised. But so good. it was it was the beginning of my, do I, is this must-see? Well, uh, you're right. Uh, Fassbender and Mac, McAvoy uh, on, on screen. Jennifer Lawrence's performance. Uh, Nicholas Holt. There's a lot of good good actors in that one. Uh, I, that's speaking- one of those examples, too, of... Uh- Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. There's no, one of the no. examples, too, of creative people being creative. Matthew Vaughn film. He's kind of made some some of the more creative uh, comic book films of the last kind of decade. And there's another example of kind of what we're talking about is letting people be creative and, and do what they do. And he kind of brought life back into that franchise that kind of got sucked away a little bit by bringing back all the old stuff to it later on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see what you're saying is that there are uh, not just visionaries, but there, there are people that that we trust with these names. Then there are other people that just have a name unto themselves. And it's, it's kind of a toss up now with, if there's going to be 20 of these movies a year, then it's really like throwing, you know, darts at a dartboard, which ones are going to hit. Speaking of Nicholas Holt, I watched a new movie, Lizzie. I watched a new movie. Well, it's it's only, it's only a year old, but that's rare for me. Listeners. I watched the menu from 2022. That is an awesome movie. It immediately broke my top 20 movies all time. What? Uh, That's awesome. One of the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, It's so good. My jaw was on the floor. um, And I I will just I'll give it a blanket recommendation for all who have not seen it. And if you have seen it, watch it again. Gosh, what a what a what a trip. I love that. It's really, really fun. And there's a lot of really fun conspiracies about the ending. I can't say a thing because it's just one of those movies you really should go into just but with a clear slate. But watch the movie. Anyone listening that hasn't already seen it or if you want to rewatch it, 
watch it and then get on a Reddit thread about the ending. It's it's really funny. It's fun to to play around with theories on that one. Now, we are actually covering something that upon watching, it made me get on Reddit and do a lot of reading on my own. Lizzie, what are we covering tonight? We are doing the X-Men sequel X2, X-Men United. Starring Patrick Stewart, Hugh Jackman, Ian McKellen, Halle Berry, Famke Jansen, James Marsden, Rebecca Romaine Stamos, Brian Cox, Alan Cumming, Bruce Davison, and Anna Paquin. Star-studded cast, a budget of $110 million, and it grossed $214 million, placed six in the box office, right behind Bruce Almighty and right ahead of Elf. Number one movie that year was Lord of the Rings Return of the King. X2 has an IMDb rating of 7.4. The critics and the audience are aligned here, both at 85% fresh. Now, Cody, uh, you you presented this. Had you seen it before? I had. It has been a uh, it's been a while since I've seen it, but I had seen it. I uh I saw it back in the day once it actually released in theaters. I've seen it a few times in the kind of intervening years there, but definitely something I've seen and kind of come back to a few times over the years. Hadn't seen it uh, in probably two, probably one or two years since I've revisited it, but uh, it's definitely something that's uh, it's in my watch list from time to time. It deserves to be. Uh, Lizzie, what about you? When Had you seen it before? Yes, I saw it in theaters when it first came out. I was, this was probably towards the peak of my obsession with superhero movies. You know, this is really when Marvel was getting its legs in a really big way. And I loved, loved, loved this movie. But it had been probably 10 years since I had seen this movie. When I started watching it again, I watched it with my husband, Aaron. We had said, you know, I feel like for some reason, I remember this being my absolute favorite movie before it even started. And by the time it was over, we're like, I remember why this was my absolute favorite movie. I could hardly remember the plot. And then it was like riding a bike. That sensory memory just came right back of, I remember everything about this movie now that I'm about five minutes in. And it's just, it was just as good as when I first saw it. And, And it had been 10 or 15 years since I had seen it before. I saw it in theaters too. I was a sophomore in high school. I went to go see it with my nerdy friends, and I don't think I'd seen it since college. I I remembered the things I liked about it. I remembered thinking that these early Spider-Man movies and early X-Men movies were good. And my Mm -hmm. expectation this time was to be reminded of brilliance because a little 16-year-old Dustin was thinking, like, this was incredible. Uh, Did you have any different expectations this time, Cody? Coming back to it, uh, my expectations were I figured it was going to to drop a little bit in my nostalgia goggles a little bit, if you would. Um, at the time that I saw it, when I uh, when it was first released back in 03, uh, this, like you said, this was the very early days of Marvel. This film, the, the first two Spider-Man films, and something that's very underrated in, in putting Marvel on the map back in the day, the Blade film with Wesley Snipes mm. was was pivotal it was really one of the first marvel films that uh that put them on the map but this is something that it uh in nostalgia kind of says it's a little bit better in my mind it was probably back then it probably would have got a nine or ten because there was just so little of the content and, and as you say before some of the awards it didn't get the genre didn't get credited like it uh it does today it was it was looked at a novelty it was looked at something that wouldn't it was a fad you couldn't pull these things off they were hard to film they were they cost too much to make it wasn't kind of given the 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 wealth 
and and kind of looked at the way it is today. But it's def- something that definitely I think still holds up pretty solidly, as we'll we'll talk about. Yeah, I, I would agree in that there's there's we didn't look at superhero movies the same way. They certainly were not the billion dollar cash drivers like they like they've become. Uh, but there there's this you know talking about it holding up. I'm not even certain if. It, our our time frame, like 2003, I, I think it's kind of mercurial as to when this could be. Uh, we, we've we, there's nothing that stands out as as particularly dated. I would say, but potentially some wardrobe stuff. But I, I really do think it holds up. Um, I will enjoy this movie when it comes across. Even just thinking about it, I will enjoy it again and again. Um, Lizzie, did, did you did you have the same feeling about it holding up? You said this was right at the peak of your Marvel fandom. Yes, I really do. I. I love all of the characters so much. I mean, every single you already listed is like such a star-studded cast and I have so much fun especially after also continuing to watch on and watching First Class. It only almost richens my appreciation for this movie because you know in X-Men First Class you learn about the relationship between Magneto and Professor X and so watching X2 back kind of knowing that information you just see this like kinship, like they're, you know, they really do have this like love and respect for each other. And in the first movie, they appear to be mortal enemies. And so in this particular movie, to have that stage set and to see everybody come together and team up is just so much fun. And you get to see these characters that were previously fighting really come together. And I, I don't know, it just feels like such epic payoff for me after. And of course, I, I know covering this movie, you almost want to let it stand on its own and, and not compare it to its um, predecessors or movies that have come before. But I just think this movie really stands on its own. Like it's just a really, really awesome movie. You could almost just have a quick blurb of the events that had transpired before without even needing an original movie and just let this be the movie. And then it just ends and there doesn't need to be anything after. Like it really feels like it stands on its own two feet. That was something coming in this time that I was thinking to myself, can I, is it even possible for me to view this as if I knew nothing about the X-Men? That's tough to think about. You have to turn things off in your brain. And eventually I quit with that exercise and just let myself enjoy it. Let it wash over me. And we're going to talk more about this movie, but we're going to take a quick break. After we come back from this break, Lizzie's going to give a plot summary. So if you have not watched X2, then you need to go and watch it. Turn us off. Come back because we're going to talk about this movie. See you on the other side. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. And I'm Jason. And this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, and this is now your last warning because we're about to give a plot summary for X2. 
So if you haven't seen it, go watch it. But for now, Lizzie, take it away. After the events at Liberty Island, a mutant attack is made on the president, and now a line has been drawn in the sand. Agent Stryker, a head military expert on mutants, is brought in to propose next steps, making it clear that he is ready for a war against the mutants. After he learns about Professor Professor X's school and the tool Cerebro inside, Stryker visits Magneto in all his plastic prison and injects him with a cognitive serum, allowing him to control Magneto and extract information regarding Cerebro and its whereabouts. If Stryker is able to get a hold of it, he can locate every mutant on the planet and wipe out the mutant race. After infiltrating the school, Logan and his students are forced to flee and eventually run into Magneto, who has escaped his holdings with the help of his loyal henchwoman, Mystique. They learn Stryker's plan on the attack of the president and his plans for the mutant race. Together, Magneto and the X-Men team up together to take down Stryker. Logan, whose feelings for Jean are only becoming stronger, knows that by fighting Stryker, he will inevitably learn more answers about his past to which he has been pining. The team arrives at Stryker's disclosed location, and a final battle ensues. Professor X is manipulated into using Cerebro by Stryker and his son into into finding and killing mutants, while Logan happens upon the room in which his animantium form was created, and Scott and Storm are manipulated by Stryker once again and trying to fight Jean. Luckily, Scott comes too just in time, revealing that he could see himself hurting her but had no control under Stryker's control. Nightcrawler, the same mutant that attacked the president under Stryker's manipulation, saves the professor from hurting both mutant and humans alike, and Stryker is detained, left for dead. Upon liftoff of the base to head home, a nearby dam is about to break, releasing enough water to swallow their ship. In order to lift off, Jean jumps overboard, lifts the ship just in time to let the jet get airborne, but not before she herself is submerged in the waters. Scott and Logan mourn their beloved as Professor X freezes a live statement from the president, kindly letting him know that mutants are not going anywhere. Our final scene ends with the waters over the lake where Jean met her demise to reveal a phoenix rising from below. This movie has everything. Teenage angst, adult feelings, anomie, fear of being different, fear of the unknown, Hidden secrets, romantic love, steaminess, seductiveness, right versus wrong, independence versus utilitarianism, institutional change, espionage, manipulation, a race against the clock, loss, death, taboo targets from the military, and somehow in this superhero world, an actual realistic doomsday. Just cram-packed with all of this stuff. Great recap, by the way. Cody, I want to start with you. We've got our X-Men. What's our level of excitement for fans of this series coming into X2? Yeah, I think, um, you know, X-Men, the the original film in 2000, I think, again, it helped launch Marvel and and launch um, their properties with Fox. And and it really did generate a lot of excitement. It was well received at the time. Going into X2, I think everyone kind of wanted to see more of that ensemble yeah, obviously more. hugh jackman's wolverine is a standout here uh it was he was the he was the big standout of the, the first film i think everybody kind of wanted a little bit more of the same they wanted that ensemble they wanted to 
see their favorite X-Men up on screen doing the things that they'd read and done before in the comics. And I think for the most part, I think you get um, a decent amount of that here. And like I said, it, it just kind of builds a little bit throughout the film. It is a it is a kind of a film that is a little bit Wolverine centric, and the ensemble does suffer just a little bit here compared to the first one. But overall, like I said, excitement couldn't have been higher when this film hit in two thousand three. Yeah, I, I I agree with the the Wolverine centricity. Uh, now it is you know kind of a, a big star leading that, and then uh, you know you had mentioned with the DCEU before that. There's something about when these actors sign long deals. You know, for instance, our first movie was pretty rogue-centric with X-Men. Uh, check out episode 31 of the Retro Movie Roundtable if you want to talk about that movie. Um, but yeah, excitement is high. I felt the same way. Uh, as a guy who was a fan of these characters, fan enough to have learned from comic books and then printed like hardcover or paperback books about the characters I liked. Uh, this was, we can't say it's pre-internet, but it's certainly pre-smartphone to where you'd have to find special encyclopedias or special media to learn more about your favorite X-Men, for instance. Uh, now, Lizzie, aside from the first X-Men movie, were you bringing that same kind of excitement in for this? I was so excited. Today, in today's world, you know, I think because of all of the things that you had previously mentioned, Cody, that like kind of fatigue, I think that I'll go into a sequel with somewhat low expectations mm. and and just kind of be like, I'm seeing it because I love it, but I'm I'm going in with the expectation that I'm probably gonna be somewhat disappointed. I think that with this particular movie, again, I felt like we were really seeing Marvel get its legs. So I was still kind of new to the superhero game. So for me, I went in with like the highest of high expectations of being like, I loved the first one. There's just no reason why I won't like the second one. I loved seeing all of the characters on the screen. And I, um, I just, I, I went in fully expecting to love it. And I left, you know, with my expectations, honestly exceeded. Cause I, I prefer this movie in the original trilogy, this is leaps and bounds my favorite. And we've got a large cast, and we've got a large ensemble. And I would agree with Cody that uh, you know our Wolverine character, who has the most movies sort of under his belt devoted to his story, it has become, uh, if he wasn't already, uh, such a, such a huge fan favorite. And we have certain stories. Uh, it might be hard to get any character development. It might be difficult. Um, but along with development, we also need character conflict. And we're not talking about the war between two factions, but just, you know, characters that, that it very plainly shown to us on screen who are uh, battling, whether that's socially or just or emotionally. Uh, give me something from this movie or, you know, expand however you'd like, Cody, on those kind of conflicts or developments that really help this bloom more than just an action fest with superpowers. In the first film, it was it was very much an X-Men versus Brotherhood. That's kind of the uh, the Brotherhood of Mutants. That was kind of the big foil, you know, the probably the biggest foil to the X-Men and the original run and, and through the years. And this, you kind of move it in from, uh, like I said, less ensemble-driven to a more personal story especially to wolverine this the conflict here is centered around his time in the, the weapon x program coming from the first film he is still very much looking to figure out who he is he doesn't know his real identity he knows bits and pieces about what happened to him uh 
pro, uh, post the Weapon X program, but not too much about who he was and what his life was before he went into Weapon X and, and was kind of fused with this adamantium kind of body and skeleton that he has. Mm-hmm. And in this, it's a much more it's a much more personal story between him and and William Stryker, who's kind of the uh, the overseer of that Weapon X program, who's kind of his 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 creator and also kind of a little bit of a in, in a in a strange way, kind of a father figure, the only father figure he had known um, pre uh, previously until he kind of gets under the wing of a Charles Xavier, who kind of takes him and is and is kind of leading him along to his own epiphanies. He's he could easily go in and he could tell every Logan everything about himself, but there's a parts in the film where he tells Logan, you know, that's not how the mind works. It's better to discover these things and discover who you are yeah. um, along the way instead of just kind of being fed it by Professor Xavier, really. And that's kind of where your conflict comes from is 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 the the personal story about Wolverine and also some of the other characters that do get the, the development here, like a Jean Grey. She's starting to have uh, a little bit of those what I'll call Phoenix fits. Uh, which Phoenix, is her, I like that. Phoenix fits. Yes, yeah, she's starting to kind of see that we're, we're kind of starting to learn that Jean Grey has some things going under the surface um, that we hadn't really previously known about from the the prior film, and that kind of she gets a lot of development here, especially towards the the final act of the film as well. Yeah, and we are shown in a way we we know that this Logan Wolverine character is uh, loner tougher than nails. And so getting a chance to see him connect with Charles Xavier. And then we also get some instances where he's connecting with William Stryker. I think the the one that stood out to me was in the hallway when they are talking during the the raid on the school, Stryker gets to talk to Logan. Uh, do, do you do you feel like this connection is something that like, oh, it's almost going against type here, Lizzie. Like we get to see, I think it's more than just tell me what happened back in the day. Like he, there's a longing for something there. The one thing that I will say that Stryker has going for him is he is, is you know, as far as characters in this movie goes, he's kind of as wicked as it gets. Like he's really dark. He doesn't care who he needs to plow through to get things done, but he's able to do it in a way that has this, the way that he speaks to you is so calming and he has this snake-like charm almost that he is able to use on Logan. And you can very much tell that there is a subconscious tether there that Logan has. And so the way that he speaks to him, it's he's on one hand, I think, playing with Logan because he recognizes that Logan doesn't 100% remember. And then I think on the other side, there's probably this side of him that also feels like Frankenstein's you know, he's Frankenstein's <laughs> yeah. monster almost where he's, you know, he recognizes like, I'm, you're my creature, I've created you. And so they have this, this bond that even though they're, they're enemies, that it's, it's below the surface and you can tell that it's there. So it's definitely a little bit of a departure from this just very clean cut. I'm the good guy and you're the enemy. And it's, it's pretty delicious to watch how it unfolds. Uh, I have to preface this, which I think X-Men does a great job of getting uh, the X-Men universe version of the U.S. government involved in uh, public perception of mutants. And it, we, we could go, I would bet that with the three brains here, we could go for an hour on just this sort of us versus them of, you know, human huh. beings, homo sapiens versus mutants. Uh, but we can't do that for this whole show. 
But they they did a great job with the senator, Senator Kelly, in the first X Men movie, and then in the the in X Two we have William Stryker works within the U.S. government, and he stages this assassination. It should have been successful. It wasn't. Both fall within the sort of game plan of our William Stryker. Uh, Lizzie, you said like God, the most wicked that you can be. At first, you thought a war on mutants. But gosh, he starts this war with the ultimate key to destruction. How do you view this this enemy for X2? Well, to start off, uh, kind of going to Lizzie's point, uh, Brian Cox does an amazing job here as William yes. Stryker. So obviously a very talented actor. Some of his performance, maybe you could uh, maybe even argue kind of channeling some of his previous experience playing Hannibal Lecter in Michael Mann's Manhunter, the first on-screen uh, mm-hmm. version of Hannibal Lecter. That's right. Channeling that a little bit. But the... Overall, his plan here, I think, is pretty solid. There, there have been people that have kind of looked into it and nitpicked it just a little bit in terms of the 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 final kind of scene. So the the overall setup here is basically William Stryker has a son, Jason Stryker, who was um, suffering from severe mental illness because he has a power set that is very similar to Charles Xavier himself. He's a a, a telepath kind of a, a mutant that has those kind of same power sets and uh striker kind of has a, a personal agenda against not only mutants and he has a personal agenda against xavier because he he entrusted jason his son to xavier to to, to school i think in in william's mind to cure to him, fix him to yeah. cure him of his 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 mutation which he looks at it as, as a disease. Xavier obviously looks at it as another evolution of uh, humanity. Homo superior, I think, is a, a term coined by Magneto. And that's kind of your, your narrative thrust here. As far as the plan goes, I mean, his plan is basically to use uh, Charles Xavier to form. He he, the, he executes a uh, an invasion, a, uh, a an intrusion into the, uh, the Xavier mansion to steal parts from Cerebro to kind of form this kind of dark Cerebro so that he can use use Jason to force Charles to find all the mutants on the planet and to kind of uh, One erase swoop. them from the planet. Yeah. yeah. To get rid of everybody. And if you look at the kind of the last scenes, it's really, you know, I think the the kind of the nitpick there as well, if if, if Charles is, is doing this to all mutants, wouldn't Jason be affected? Wouldn't himself be affected? I think in the novelization of this film, uh, it's kind of explained that that he 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 took that into consideration. He the the toll that it would take on Jason to force Charles would kill him, and the toll it would take on Charles to uh, destroy all the mutants, to kill all the mutants on the planet, would take enough toll on him that it would kind of be a mutually assured destruction, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It's not really gone into too much in the film like that, and I don't think you need to. I think if you kind of if you look at it overall, it's pretty solid. But if you if you dig down into it and say, well, there are two mutants, why is it not affected by Charles's powers? You look at it as it's it's a mutually assured destruction type situation. I love that this world is different than other superhero worlds. We've got a population of mutants. I, I think that's wonderful. Is that you have different versions uh, of different? We'll call them power levels. We know X Men certainly calls them power levels. They rank them by class, and then there's also like Omega level. That's all you know, nitty gritty inside baseball. But we have all of these different types of characters. You have very powerful superheroes and supervillains. Then we have William Stryker's son. And you're right. He, he, he sent him to Charles Xavier to try to fix him, try to cure him. And his, his ability is twofold. Well, we can call it twofold. He can create illusions within the mind. And through creating illusions within the mind, he can get you to do what he wants. 
terrifying if you take a scope back. Uh, like that's it's when you think about uh, Jason Stryker's character, and I know that this is a departure from who Jason Stryker is in the comics, but look at that character, absolutely terrifying. And they are extracting a, a fluid from his brain, and that is what they are seeping onto the backs of the necks of our Nightcrawler, of our Magneto, of our Lady Deathstrike, and a couple others throughout the film. And I gotta say, it wasn't until this watch through that I made. They tell you, I just wasn't paying attention before, guys. <laughs> they tell you, like, oh yeah, his brain secretes this, and this is how we're able to do it. So you have one unique mutant, and and this is this is how so many great X Men storylines are: is you have just there's something about this mutant that is unique, and then you have you have something about the person who's unique. And I think that that this opens so much about the X Men universe is that it's not necessarily about the power. Is you, you spend more time with them and you learn it's about like who they are. Now we don't get much personality from Jason Stryker, but just one wheelchair user who uh, has sort of mind control powers is uh, extremely terrifying. You've got a henchwoman, but uh, Lizzie, I, I bring all this up because we have a big cast. Who is it that is special? in our main cast or who is it special that's sort of on the side that you're like oh look this this kid uh doesn't go to sleep and he changes the channels with his eyes <laughs> i think this movie gives us a lot of chance to see like who these people are yes absolutely i the two characters that stand out the most for me they weren't my favorite when i first saw the movie but now that i'm much older and i can appreciate just kind of the complexities as you said of the human experience and uh, because that plays so much of a role to your point. I, I'm a big Magneto girly. I love him so much. I find him to be so interesting. You know, you look at the juxtaposition between him and Charles. Charles, I, they're both very strong, but arguably I would say Charles ha- is stronger in terms of his ability. The fact that he can quite literally implant thoughts into your mind. I mean, Magneto, the only reason why he wears that helmet really is to protect him from Charles. Like he recognizes Mm -hmm. Charles's power, but Charles is someone who truly wants to live in harmony with humans. So he wants to be able to live side by side. And whereas Eric, as we learn in the first movie, you know, he was, he is a Holocaust survivor. And so almost everything that he does and every single move that he makes is to maintain his personal autonomy. And so the idea that humans are afraid of of mutants and want to create any kind of separation in any way, shape, or form, like that really speaks to the fear of what he's experienced. Mm -hmm. And so almost every single thing that he does is really just in motivation to make sure he is always in control of his actions and his freedom and his ability to live. And that of course drives him to to eventually kind of be a, a bad guy but i really i love him i find him so refined and and polite while also just kind of being wicked and a bad guy and i just i find his he's so complicated and i he's so much fun to watch because of that you never quite know what he's going to do and for that for those reasons it makes it so much fun um and then i love 
just like as a quip, I love Nightcrawler. I think he's so sweet. Again, another juxtaposition. He's kind of like devilish, but yet he's a very strong Christian. And, you know, you catch him in a church and just some of the lines that he has. And I love the one of my favorite relationships is the one that he has with Storm, mm-hmm. the way that they talk and, and share stories and just overviews of life. He is very wise, little mutant. I, lo- I love him. Cody, are you a Magneto girly too? <laughs> I do. I do enjoy Magneto. I do. I do enjoy the character. Uh, I'm glad to kind of see in this film because you know, obviously, he's the the main foil with the Brotherhood in the first film. I'm, I'm glad to see. At first, you're kind of worried is he going to be relegated to his uh, plastic cell for most of the movie? Because that's a, that's a problem in a way that some of these films have. If you look at the X Men films, they always have to find a way to take Charles Xavier off the board. Yeah, because Charles Xavier is an Omega level mutant, and he can he can. Pretty much, he could if he's left to his own devices, he can solve a lot of these problems narratively for a writer. So, as a writer, you have to right. kind of take Charles Xavier off the board. Yes, uh, and they do that in the major the majority of the X Men films. And you kind of worry that they're going to do that with Magneto a little bit and kind of leave him in his plastic prison. But it's good to see that he kind of gets to kind of come out and play a little bit towards our, our final act of the film. But I do enjoy, I do enjoy Magneto. There's some other mutants here too that I wish had some more were brought into this series a little earlier. Um, you kind of mentioned there's some new characters in the background, the 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 kid that can change the channel with his uh his powers. There's a, a girl that kind of could be a Kitty Pryde type character that you see kind of running through the walls during That's the invasion right. of the mansion. The big one here that I wish got a roster spot earlier on in this film series was Colossus. You kind of see him kind of hurting the uh, the kids throughout the mansion to try to get them through the tunnels into safety. Uh, unfortunately, he's kind of not really spotlighted except for those one kind of little scenes here. Unfortunately, he's even crazy credited by the wrong name his character's wrong name in the credits his name is is peter rasputin he's he's credited as peter raputin in the credits unfortunately. <laughs> so they didn't even get him they didn't even give him service enough to get his name right in the yeah. credits but i think those are some of the things i would have liked to see a colossus get a roster spot over somebody like a pyro mm. who, whose character <laughs> yeah. basically in this film is i'm pyro thus i must flick a lighter uh-huh <laughs> yes character in this audibly field. annoying yeah. audibly annoying uh you know i gotta tell you cody colossus is my favorite x-man has always been it started because the arcade cabinet at the arcade yeah. the x-men side-scrolling mm-hmm. game who do you want to be i wanted to be colossus so i know everything about his character and he gets mm-hmm. he gets 10 seconds sorry he gets three seconds in his metal form, and you don't even see him beat the guys up. They just get thrown through a wall. Then he's leading the kids out of, like, into safety. He says to Wolverine, I can help you. Wolverine says back to him, no, you help them. A little bit of a, okay, is he being a leader? Is Wolverine actually looking out for someone else besides himself? Five minutes later, uh, he, he has Rogue... Iceman and Pyro go out and he doesn't follow them and he he almost doesn't take his own advice. He's like, no, you guys will be fine. I gotta, I have to, I, I'm gonna let my self-interest come in here. I gotta say, the thing about Pyro here, his inclusion, which I love, is he doesn't have to be a jerk. They make him a jerk. And it's okay for the jerk to join the Brotherhood at the end, we'll say. But it would be okay if he wasn't either. It would be okay if he was just I've been given two options and I'm going to choose the one that 
lets me not be, what does he say? Enough at the kid's table. I, I want to go live my life. And the idea that just by listening to another adult, you know, I'm Magneto, I'm a Magneto girly too. <laughs> just by listening to them, he's like, oh, that's kind of the world out there. I think Magneto says, you're a, you're a god among ants, something like that. Mm-hmm. Or god among insects. That's Never it, let yeah. anyone tell you any differently. Uh-huh. Um, then we get that scene where he, well, we're not going to say loses his cool. Uh, I guess you're supposed to be shown that like, he's got this within him. Uh, he said after, after Logan takes one in the head from the Boston cop, surprise, surprise, he, he, he flicks his lighter. You know, those stories you hear about the bad mutants. I'm the worst one. And he yes. starts to lay waste. Now, do I want more Colossus? Absolutely. Speaking of things that I want more, I'll wait until I change one thing. But they shut. They left some stuff on the cutting room floor here, uh, which just hurts my heart. Luckily, there's been so much X Men content since then. Not all of it good, but we've had so much since then that we get we 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 do get our taste of that way 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 later. Uh, but yeah, our our human stories here are uh, so much to 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 take in, and there's a lot. Uh, Lizzie, I want to come back to what you said about Storm and Nightcrawler. Yes. Now I do not remember much about Nightcrawler's backstory aside from the circus. I don't remember if there was anything that was explicitly, um, whether it's a uh, devout, whether it is, what is the word on the Orthodox Christianity mm-hmm. where he's from? I don't remember that. I remember his character being a little playful, kind of, kind of devilish, but kind of playful. Um, what a coup to have that be an important part of his character. Right. Yeah, it's so fun. You really don't expect it. I think even when he's afraid, I looked up in the trivia that he's he's yelling at them in German, and I'm not going to try to repeat it, but it translates to him saying that he's an agent of the devil. So like, he's afraid of Storm and Jean thinking that originally when they come into the church that they're there to hurt him. And so he tries to use his appearance to, you know, to scare them off. And then, you know, very, very quickly you realize that his, his outward appearance is absolutely nothing to, it's, it's the exact opposite of, you know, the heart that he carries. And he, um, you, you feel really bad for him. And I really forgot all about that when I watched it, that he was manipulated into the attack on the president. I had for some reason- just completely wiped that from my mind. And so in watching it, I was like, wait, I'm confused as to like, you're the good guy now. And then you, and then he turns his head and you see the little, almost looks like a, like a burn mark. It does. Yeah. And, uh, in the back of his neck, but I, I just, I love, I love his personality and he's so calming and, and sweet and wise, you know, when everybody's panicking, he's praying. And I just, I, I think he is he's somebody that you want on your side because he's somebody that's able to stay cool and calm under pressure and kind of keep that kind of compass of what really matters, kind of always keeping north. And how thankful are we that it gives Storm something to do? Cody. Right. I know she really wouldn't have much of a plot uh, if I'm it weren't for that. him. Because Jean is at this point, she's off with with Logan and they're kind of doing their thing. And so it really does give Storm and some Halle Berry some screen time. 
that's uh that right there i'm glad you kind of hit on that point as far as cast goes halle berry talented actress academy award winning actress there's been a lot of great roles it, she is the biggest miscast amongst this pretty much great cast in my opinion mm -hmm. she is from from the, the from the very first film she just never really fit that role to me i think they just it was an example of we need a big star here to sell our film which i get from a, a production standpoint and a making money standpoint but as far as a, a actually cast as storm and being a portraying a good storm on film she doesn't she doesn't get it for me but actually i agree with you I, I really do agree i think she's too soft-spoken i i really think that i used to watch the comic or excuse me the cartoon and storm was just this like powerhouse of a person who really you know she brought the storm and so she was very um outspoken and loud and um uh, abrasive and you know she just kind of wouldn't roll over and play dead for anybody kind of character and Halle Berry is and Halle Berry's Halle Berry. She's a fantastic actress, but she's just very mousy in this role. And I, I felt that it, wow. didn't, it didn't fit either. <clears throat> yes. What a, what a characterization. And, and this is the only one of these original three where she gets to do anything. Uh, and, yeah. and, and, and when I say gets to do anything, yeah, she, she blows stuff up with lightning. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, but like as far as, hey, what are we here for? Talking about like character development, conflict, relationships. Uh, it's it, so much, so needed here. Um, now. This is, I think, our example. And we have our inter interpersonal uh, relationships. And then we have our Brotherhood of Mutant versus X-Men. Then we have Mutants versus William Stryker's group. And in reality, we get to, uh, I think, the scene with Bobby Drake's family is you could cut and paste that into if instead of Bobby Drake being a mutant, you could cut and paste it into Bobby Drake being gay. And at, yes. at this point, the way the mom is talking about, it, have you tried not being a mutant? It's not, you know, we still love you. You know, all, all of this stuff, it's so very clear in one scene. And, and yeah, we are getting the benefit of X1, of, of X-Men 1, and we're getting the benefit of in-world media things that are happening. But X-Men, Cody, what do you think about this? Does X-Men do the greatest version of us versus them, normies versus superheroes? in all of our comic worldscape? I think so, yeah. And going back to that scene you mentioned with Bobby and his parents yeah. as well, something I was kind of looking into the research when I was, I was going through this film. Uh, Ian McKellen obviously plays uh, Magneto, openly gay mm -hmm. actor in Hollywood. Uh, from my research, he actually went and actually kind of worked with the production team and the writers to kind of write that scene wow. as more of a coming out type of scene uh, mm -hmm. to, for uh for bobby and for that moment so definitely something uh, that kind of wanted to mention there but as far as x-men i think yes it's one of the it's one of the it's been around for a very very long time at, at this point it was relevant in its time it kind of mirrored things going on in society at the time mm -hmm. but unfortunately it still mirrors things going on in society today it's a universal story um that resonates with people feeling like an outcast feeling like you don't belong finding a place that you can belong being protected by uh that family your new family that may protect you and love you in a way that your actual family never could all 
universal story, you know, potential here and, and resonates with everyone still today. I think you're right. I think it is still holds up as kind of like one of those best kind of narrative driven kind of background pieces that you think about is this is, is human versus mutant, homo sapien versus homo superior, you know, and the toll that takes on on every person that is a mutant or otherwise. I think the father says, like, well, we thought he was going to a school for gifted students. And Rogue says that he is gifted. Gifted, yeah. Now, he follows it up with the lamest use of his power, which is to turn her hot tea cold. Fine. <laughs> but to- He pulls to sh- down the Wolverine's Dr. Pepper as well. Don't forget that. <laughs> that was awesome. That I really liked. Uh, <laughs> that I really liked. Um, but, but uh, you know, yeah, yeah, Professor of Art, Logan. Uh so, so we we have that, but it, it's awesome that the 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 movie really shows it like being different and being exceptional, not quite the homo superior the way that Magneto thinks, because we know Magneto's endgame here. Gosh, the minute he gets inside Cerebro and changes what's gonna happen, yes, find all the humans, kill all the humans. Wow, uh, so it's you can't even really call it a twist. Uh, we know what Magneto's about. But stakes are very high for the last 45 minutes of this movie. It's awesome. Um, and it, it, I think I, I hold the movie in pretty high, high esteem, but there, there's actually there's a lot of crunchiness of stuff to dig into here. Uh, let's, let's go to our – we have our two big guys, Omega Level Mutants. Uh, so is Jean Grey. So is Iceman. So is uh, Storm. But we've got, we've got these two guys. You're right, Cody. You've got to take Professor X off the table. You have to. And then have Magneto sideline for a little bit. What a way to get out, by the way. An incredible way to the get out. The coolest escape ever. Uh, yes. Uh, it, it, <laughs> it, uh, and a huge smile on Ian McKellen's face as he's doing it. Uh, I would say Ian McKellen transformed Magneto more so than any actor has ever transformed a, um, a, a character. Uh, more so than Hugh Jackman to Wolverine. Uh, I'd say like... The personality that Ian McKellen can bring into the Magneto character is really something big. It's it's like the unfair advantage that a Robin Williams would have if you cast him as a known character. Bringing bringing that up, uh, he 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 does a great job there. Um, but then we've got uh, we've got our our hints about Logan's background, our hints about this, and then we have Lady Deathstrike, the henchwoman, we'll call her. Um, I found. I liked that she was in it, but I don't know if she got a chance to develop as much as the rest. Lizzie, would you would you say that she's potentially a little flatter than the rest? Yeah, I think, you know, the only real – they try to foreshadow that they're going to do a reveal that she's a mutant during the – Stryker's meeting with the president. You know, she's cracking her knuckles a lot. And, yeah. of course, Stryker – because – in the very beginning upon meeting him, his stance is he absolutely just hates mutants. So you wouldn't think that he would surround himself with mutants in any capacity. But of course, when she's cracking her knuckles, you're thinking, okay, she's a mutant and he either knows and they're in cahoots with each other or he has no idea and he's about to find out in some big way towards the end of the movie. And then they kind of surprise you a little bit towards the end of the movie when they do make the reveal that she is a mutant. It's less surprising because now we understand that he's able to manipulate mutants. So at this point when she's revealed it, we understand how Lady Deathstrike is on his side. 
But I would have loved to have seen, you know, we know that that serum only lasts for a certain point in time. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to have had some kind of scene where she comes to and is you kind of see her own personality because you only really see her when she's under that manipulation and that spell. So I, I do. Unfortunately, she falls flat because we never actually get to know her. She does provide us a pretty killer action scene. Yes, she does. Yes. With the before even in the prison scene and then especially after the fact when she's got animantium in her. Yeah. And guys, we made it an hour without talking about action. So we gotta make up for it. This movie, action packed and just an awesome stage for some some killer action scenes. Cody, I just think there's so much that we can cover here. Yeah, I think uh, you kind of right off the bat, you know, one of the most iconic scenes from this film is the the, the White House invasion. The Nightcrawler attack, you know, Obviously, yeah. that kind of, it kind of is a precursor to some of the scenes that we'd see Brian Singer come back to this uh, series later with the Quicksilver scene in Days of Future Past. Kind of, you see some of the seeds of that, but yeah, off the bat, you get a really great action scene with uh, Nightcrawler uh, going into the White House. Uh, you also get a, a great scene of the... X-Men's mansion being kind of assaulted by Stryker's uh, goons, shall we say, his his agents, his human uh, agents and operatives. Uh, really great action scene there. It's very Wolverine-focused. Again, that's what was selling tickets at the time. You know, Wolverine yeah. on screen, Hugh Jackman, everyone loved him coming out of X1. He was the breakout star. And that's what people were there to see. They want to see Wolverine. They want to see uh, Wolverine using his, uh, his claws instead of just kind of having them on his hands and not using them, which has kind of been a, uh, a kind of a, a critique that people have had throughout the years especially in the first film he doesn't use them as much as you do see here so they wanted to highlight that action scene specifically give him a big set piece uh i mean i'm kind of with you in a way when i was younger it was definitely the same way when i would watch batman 1989 when i was a child i would watch the batman introduction scene skip through the narrative go to the next batman scene <laughs> skip batman scene roll credits i did need to uh, stop to see adult, joker dancing through the museum though that is right. Exactly. Always. You got to you got to get at least one Prince song in. Um, <laughs> but yeah, as I've grown up, it's uh, you, you definitely have to have action, but it has to be in the service of a story um, for me to for me to be most effective. If you're making just a straight out and out action film, that's fine. But this is not a straight out and out action film. It's a, it's a narrative driven story. And I think the, the the set pieces that we get here set up nicely. I think if you had a weakest action, you know, kind of moment from the film, it's probably the jet missile chase. That's probably the weakest, quote unquote. I'm not saying that it is actually weak, but of the of the list of the, the action scenes, it would probably be towards most people's kind of bottom of their list. And then you kind of get into the last kind of uh, the last uh, kind of action pieces. As we go back to Alkali Leak, we get everybody involved that's uh another problem again that i have with this film again it's a big ensemble and you have to take pieces off the board we 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 touched on uh magneto's rescue before uh well not his rescue but uh the first time that xavier and uh, cyclops go to actually speak with him at the prison mm -hmm. they kind of discover what's going on and xavier gets taken off the board cyclops also gets taken off the board he's there in his lovely pea coat and leather uh <laughs> uniform he has to have his uniform on under his coat, of course, because he's not going to be seen again until the third act and everyone else is wearing their uniforms. So Cyclops has to be in his uniform as well. So that's kind of another piece kind of taken off the board there to stage the big action that happens towards the end of the field. Yeah. And, you know, Cyclops is nobody's favorite unless I happen to find one in either you two. No. 
Nope. I will will attribute this quote to to my co-host, Todd Hill, who said it about Henry Cavill's Superman. James Marsden would have made a great Cyclops. Unfortunately, he was never able to play him. And I mean mm. by that he was never given he was never given the ability to play Cyclops. Cyclops was just they looked at Cyclops on the page or maybe even looked at a blurb about Cyclops's character. Let's boil it down. Well, he's kind of uh abrasive. He's the leader. He's got to be cocky and arrogant. That's all we're gonna give Cyclops in these kind of in these films. God, they barely give him leader too. Yeah, exactly. And Cyclops is so much more than that. He's he is a great character. Uh has had a lot done with him in the comics and other material over the years. And he does another one of those that kind of suffers for to have a, a Wolverine centric film and not something that relies on an ensemble. Cyclops is another unfortunate victim of that as well. I agree. He's kind of furniture in this movie a little bit. And I'm a huge James Marsden fan. Who is it? So I agree. It's really more the writing and what they gave him. It's not. It's not him. But he's my husband's favorite character. Not in. He doesn't enjoy it in the movies. But as a comic book fan, uh, Cyclops was always his favorite. So he's still to this day heartbroken that Cyclops never really got his day in the sun on on the screen. Absolutely. And then you can look at it. Brian Singer took him from these films and gave him nothing to do and then took him to Superman Returns in 2006 and also gave him nothing to do. <laughs> no, it's like he's not just a pretty face. Like he's a really good actor. Like let let him work. Let the man do his thing. Isn't he Lawn in the Notebook? Yes, which is yes. such a sleeper role. People like sleep yeah. on that, but he is – like Ali made a mistake, if you ask me. <laughs> oh, well, that's, that's for another podcast and well, another I, I, day. I, but Team Lon, well. he's a good man. I mean, the usually like the other guy, like the current guy, is a huge jerk. And but Lon is fantastic. He she definitely missed that one. Missed. Poor choice. And what movie are we covering tonight, Dustin? We are doing 2001's The Notebook. <laughs> it is second half. Double, double feature. No, no, don't apologize. No. <laughs> I could go I'm on and about that side. Yeah, we, we, we uh, need to sneak that one in on a dealer's choice or something. Um, so yeah, so what a, what a great way that your, your co-host put it is you, you would have played a great Cyclops. You just didn't get a chance to play him. Uh, yeah, that's that's so astute about that. Uh, you know, we we were talking about these these action sequences. We have all of these relationships. It's wonderful. Our setting is uh, it's not distant future. It's not distant past. It's just kind of modern. We do have a cell phone, kind of, in this movie. The world's thinnest cell phone in two thousand three. Yeah, like two she- seashells or something like that. It's very good. well. The reason I bring it up is is because uh, that that little thing. He doesn't know how to use it. So funny. He's like holding it up like a phone, but it's not working like a phone. And that's where I wanted to get to. This movie's funny. Yes. It's not a comedy. It's a movie that is funny. And I think uh, all of our dialogue here is now Logan is a one-liner machine. But I think a lot of our characters do a great job with the dialogue that they're given. Um so I think credit really needs to go to our writers for if you have a chance where there's, let's say, 12 important characters, everything yeah. that comes out of their mouth, even Storms, is good. I, I would say the one that, that is kind of taxing for me is Jean Grey. Jean Grey's taxing. Lizzie, explain that sigh to me. I, we will, I will 
expand on this later, but I hate her. I really <laughs> I I cannot stand her. It's twofold. I don't like her character and I really, really dislike the actress as well. Like I hate oh. her in everything she plays. I'm so sorry for her. Like sorry to this woman. Like I I you know, I don't have anything personally against you. I just I really I I just I hate everything she's in. I really do. I really do. And it's so bad. But I enjoy the movies. Like Taken, a great example. She's in Taken many years later. And I love that movie. But I just like – no, she's never been able to hit a home run for me ever. And um, it's just we're not meant to be friends, I guess, in that way. Uh-huh. And so I just – I find her insufferable to watch. And I so appreciate what they're trying to do to lay down that groundwork of they want the love triangle on one side with Jean Grey. So there's the the whole piece with Logan. And, you know, she's like, don't make me do this. Don't make me do this. But then she kind of still gives in. It's like it just kind of feels a little forced to me. I see the passion on Logan's side and I see the desire. I see none of it on her side. So I'm just kind of having a question mark of like, are you into Logan because he's into you? Or Ooh, yeah. like – What's happening? Because I don't see any attraction on your side. Like Logan has is clearly in love with you, but I see absolutely nothing on your side. Like you seem very happy with Scott and you advocate for Scott every single time that Logan steps in. So I'm very confused as to why you're kissing him back and why you're going for this. It just kind of seems like you are bored and want to go for it. It just it that that falls flat for me. And then the the setting the tone and the text for the phoenix eventually rising i just kind of think like i i a lot of that is not her fault because of, as we learn later in the next movie charles has kind of blocked a lot of that from her mind you know you mentioned it early earlier cody like the phoenix fits yeah. and um <laughs> but i just think if you're really if you know scott had said at one point you know you were having an issue moving a book and now you have a nightmare and the whole room shakes i you know, she's she's not really being very forthcoming. And I just think in the world that they've set for each other, I just I, I would really expect a little different from than that. Cause they're all kind of learning as they go. Like nobody's an expert in being a mutant. They're all new at it in a lot of hmm. ways. So I would think that if she's having these kinds of issues, that she's in the very place to address it. And yet she tends she hides it. And I just I she just she gets an F for me. Oh. <laughs> F for Phoenix Force. Uh, yes. Well, you know, in a in a way, you're right about the love triangle thing. It's almost the only reason that Scott Summers is even in this is to kind of be, which is it's an interesting play, by the way. A lot of strong female characters in this movie. Um, now we're not going to say that Brian Singer is some kind of revolutionary here, but in a way, how many times do we have a lead actress? You know, our female actors. How, how many times do we have a lead actor whose only role is to be like the goal of pursuit or like the hanger on of our leading man and in this case it's the opposite and we see it and we go yuck it makes you wonder about why we aren't saying yuck the other way but i will say uh, i think i'm with you with this vanky jansen here um and, and it's not because uh if i'm in a room i think i'm looking towards halle berry it, that's unfair that's not what i'm getting at the idea is uh she's almost like you know how they sometimes say like the city is the third character, the fifth character. Mm-hmm. She almost exists as a force, not a character as this sort of necessary implement for the direction of the trilogy to go. 
That's fair. Yes. That's, that's one way that I would, I would look at this potentially. Um, but I, I do want to spend a little bit of time on our other, uh, very strong female character here, Mystique, Cody. Uh, I don't remember Mystique being someone that I paid attention to in the animated series, but, um, such a force to be reckoned with in, in, in these Brian Singer movies. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, per, uh, portrayed here by Rebecca Remain. Obviously, she probably had the hardest role in in the entire films that she was in in terms of the time that she had to spend in makeup every day to just to come in and perform that role for the amount of screen time she's actually given. Uh, so kudos to her for going through all that. Same for Alan Cummins. He did it one time for this movie and never did it again. Uh, and mm-hmm. but yeah, she is a force. She's obviously very loyal to uh, Magneto. We would see her later portrayed in some of the X Men films as well by Jennifer Lawrence. But yeah, very good. Uh, you know, for comic book fans, she also uh, there she has ties to um, Nightcrawler. I think in the early nineties, it was kind of uh, said that she was uh, at that point. It was she was Nightcrawler's mother, and that she had maybe had an affair with Azazel, which Lizzie, you probably Azazel was uh, featured in X Men First Class. He's our mm-hmm. uh, he's our teleporter. Looks very much like Nightcrawler, but red. Uh, later on, I think it was kind of retcon that it was actually uh, Mystique, and uh, I believe it was Destiny was actually the the, the parents of uh, Nightcrawler that it was kind of retcon to. But yeah, absolutely a, a character that you really need. She she kind of takes on the role early in the film. She is basically since the death of Senator Kelly in the first film. She is now, for all intents and purposes, Senator Kelly, and she has now changed that character into a uh, someone who was anti-mutant into a pro-mutant sympathizer and is kind of pushing that agenda through uh, Congress and through the Senate in opposition of a William Stryker. And they have a kind of couple of scenes early on in the film when uh, they're meeting with the president. But yeah, a, a kind of a, a small role, but still a role that uh, fills in narratively, kind of fills in some blanks. She's obviously the way that that uh, Eric gets out of prison by injecting our guard with uh, some of the, uh, the oh, iron that he was missing brilliant. from his diet. Oh, cool. Exactly. She needs to work on her technique with spiking drinks, though, because uh, it took a long, long time for that guard to actually suffer the effects of it. He had to every last drop of that beer <laughs> before he finally succumbed to the <laughs> succumbed to it. If we can find yeah, anything about that. It's funny. Uh, yeah. A small role, but uh, also narratively needed and pretty well executed throughout this film. A lot of things really well executed. Uh, going back and thinking about it, uh, I, I had mentioned that uh, I, I watched this movie and then spent an equal amount of time as the movie lasted reading about X-Men stuff. Uh, it's, it's just, this happens a lot on the show, Lizzie, is we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a movie for, long, for about as long as the movie goes, and then I want to read more. It's, yes. it, this, is, this is a show for people that just want more and more. And I want more, but I want to give more in our superlative section. So are you guys ready with me? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Cody, we're going to start with you. Who's your MVP of X2? Well, there's really, for me, it's got to be Hugh Jackman as the MVP. I I don't think this movie and this franchise would have been successful and had as much longevity as it had without Hugh Jackman bringing to what he did to that role. And he's obviously the center, the driving force here. It is very much, it's an X-Men film and title, but you could really call it Wolverine. Dash and his friends, X Men Two, X Men United. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Wolverine is his amazing friends because it is a very Wolverine centric film, and. <laughs> 
I'm not saying that it's necessarily a bad thing, but he overall, he's our MVP here for sure. That's a strong case. Lizzie, who's your MVP? Sir Ian McKellen. I love him so much. Gosh, yeah. I, I just adore him. And in a lot of ways, he drives the entire plot because without the Brotherhood, without Magneto, you know, Stryker's plan probably would have been completely successful. You know, they're because Charles Xavier is always kind of in for the betterment of of humanity and society. And I think he really needed Magneto because I think that getting through on the other side, they needed to get their hands a little dirty. And I think that Magneto wasn't oh. afraid to go there. And so I'm I he makes the movie, but then also he makes it for me just by being so much fun to watch. Lizzie, I love what you just said. When our when our leaders of our factions need each other. Yes. Um, there's something I, I'm almost got a tear in my eye because they do. It, Professor yeah. X and Magneto need each other. They love each other. Yeah, like <laughs> they, they really respect each other, and it's fun to watch. It's so fun to watch. Uh, and and who made it so fun to watch? I'm going to say Brian Singer as my MVP. Uh, we nice. know his other works. We know that he gets a lot of the credit for this X Men stuff. I'm willing to give it to him. Uh, there are some. There's there's very few decisions that I question. And there are very few things as far as like connection to my childhood nostalgia that I, uh, you know, raise my finger and say, tut, tut, William Stryker's son was not uh, this kind of mutant. And I cannot believe you would uh, include Ben Foster as the angel next movie. None of that stuff matters. I think his versions of this movie uh, are, are so well done. It, it's to the level of Peter Jackson and Lord of the Rings to me uh, of like, wow, this is it's like who I equate with. Uh, enjoyment of this film series is with him. Uh, and of course, uh, we are very lucky to have all the actors mentioned. Uh, who is your best supporting actor, Cody? Uh, for me, it's going to be Alan Cummings. Uh, first time in the X-Men series, last time in the X-Men series. But I mean, he brings something to the character of Nightcrawler, an uh, interesting character, uh, develops it in a way. Uh, in the comic books, he he it was added later. He was kind of that devout, kind of orthodox, kind of Christian uh, of the Christian faith, and then that's kind of brought into this. Uh, I love the details, also of his makeup and effects with the uh, his angelic symbols that he has on his body, almost like kind of a form of scarification. Um, to where each he says in the film that you know each of them represent a sin that he's committed, and it's just a lot more depth than you would expect to that character. He's got one of the most iconic scenes in the entire X Men franchise with the the assault on the White House, and he has some good scenes in development with Halle Berry. We kind of talked about before. So mm -hmm. for me, my supporting actor kind of goes to uh, Alan Cummings here. Once again, another strong case, uh, Lizzie. Who's your best supporting? Yes, mine's actually the same, and I think you your reasoning was absolutely top-notch perfect I, all for all of those reasons as well he's my best supporting he's also a fun character in the comic books as well like I, he actually i came in he was the one i was excited for he's on the poster it's in the the previews and, and me and my my buddies are grabbing each other by the shirt nightcrawler is going to be in this one this is. <laughs> and and then you get treated to something that's artistic uh i will say uh it's almost unfair he, he was my hidden gem I'll have to figure something out later. I gave, I wanted to give him credit too. My best supporting is Brian Cox and William Stryker. I think Brian Cox and Alan Cumming are the two names that most frequently come up whenever we do movies and we want to insert someone else in them. How do we get Brian Cox or Alan Cumming into this movie? Uh, so I love both these guys and uh, he's got a gravitas to him 
the William Stryker character is in my sort of head canon unimpressive to me in the written form, but on screen, uh, Brian Cox gives him such life. And uh, well said. It's, 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 it's a lot of credit to him. Cody, who's your hidden gem or what might be your hidden gem of this movie? And this, it's more, it's more kind of a what. It's the, uh, it's the X Men that aren't on the team. The X Men, like Colossus, like the the possible Kitty Pride. At one point in the scene during uh in the bar where uh, Mystique is going to kind of uh spike the drink of our our prison guard, uh, we see a little Easter egg of Doctor Hank McCoy mentioned on the bar TV, That's which right. is uh, but X Men fans will know as, as Beast in the X Men franchise. But it, for me, the hidden gems are like the the small bits we get with Colossus and those those other X Men that I wish had kind of be given a roster spot over some of the others. Those are kind of my hidden gems here. You know, it's funny that you you mentioned like roster spot over the others. I think there is something special in my head about why Pyro matters is because he's the boss of level one of the X Men's uh, side scrolling video game. Uh, and he's right. a real hothead, pun intended. Uh, what's your hidden gem, Lizzie? Uh, Sean Ashmore, the plays Bobby Iceman. I I had mentioned it a little earlier when we uh, when we were on our break, but I uh, he was in the show Animorphs, which was an, a fil- a TV adaptation of the book series that I was absolutely obsessed with as a kid. And when we went to the theater when this movie started. And the previews and all the things, knowing that Iceman was going to be in X-Men, I, again, being about like 15 years old when this movie came out, I didn't care about Hugh Jackman or Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, any of these names. None of them meant anything to me. I was just so, so, so excited to see uh, Animorphs on screen. So I I love, and I still do, I see his face and he'll always be like that kid that can morph into a tiger for me and so i just i love seeing bobby on screen sean ashmore uh biggest candidate for being on the cover of tiger beat Uh, (laughs) i I also think uh he's had more roles since then his career didn't end i think he's on some popular superhero show now Uh, so he's he's keeping it going he's had a good career i'm i'm happy to every time i get to see his face and he came back much later for like the days of future past with a bunch of other original cast members and you know he's he's done a great job i'm always happy to see his face so has a very uh ongoing relationship with the game studio remedy as well for fans of video games and for remedy as well alan wake 2 and some other games he's been in recently he is uh always cool. kind of given a supporting role in their video games uh, for the last several years oh that's awesome i love it when when mainstream actors do a good job and commit uh with that rest in peace matthew perry matthew perry was a, a huge guy with the uh with the uh, Fallout games, and he he was given roles in that as well. So it's it's cool to see those world mix. Uh, well, I came up with another hidden gem, and I I had actually thought about this the moment I saw it in theaters. If you notice when Mystique is doing our 2003 version of hacking on the computer, going through the folders, that is something that maybe doesn't hold up is those computer screens. But even still, we get it. She's she's hacking. She's yeah. she's data mining. Whatever. Um, she's going through a list of names. And their names of other mutants. And the cursor briefly highlights on a Remy Lebeau before moving on to the next one, who, as we all know, is Gambit. Uh, one of a lot of little boys' favorite characters is the cool, staff-wielding, throw-anything-with-kinetic-energy type of thing. They, they kind of hint at him in the movie, 
turns out they filmed stuff with Gambit for this movie. All no way. Yes. Now they end up adding a Gambit style character in one of the worst at worst X-Men movies later, but to have Gambit fill one of those roster spots for you, Cody, I would have loved that. So just the idea that they include the name and I mean, the bow, sort of like the Hank McCoy. I love that. All right. Best shot, Cody, mm-hmm. best cinematic moment of this movie. I think it has to go for, you could kind of pick and choose really, uh, but it goes to uh, the shots from the White House attack with uh, Nightcrawler. Mm. Those wide cinematic shots, those kind of spin around, kind of a little bit of slow motion um, kind of used there. Any You can really kind of pick and choose from any of those shots and really interesting kind of shots and and camera placement there for some of those early White House attack shots. So that that's that's it for me as far as cinematic moments and shots goes yeah uh really well done like you can see him longer than he must physically be there uh, and it's just really well done artistic uh lizzie what's your best shot mine's a little cheesy but i love when they're at bobby's house and wolverine hears the sound and he releases his claws and there's a still of him just he's right in front of the camera with his claws And to me, that just feels like they had to get that shot. You know, they told themselves of all the scenes, (laughs) this entire story, we have to make sure that we get at least one still of Wolverine in those claws. And so they just, they had to do it. And then of course you, you see very quickly afterwards that it's a cat and uh, just trying to like lick his little antimantium claw. But I love that because you could just feel the intentionality behind that scene, like that, that was... (laughs) Just they needed it and they got it. Yeah, I actually chose a uh, a Wolverine shot as well during the storming of Xavier's school. Wolverine and Iceman are in the kitchen. Soldier sneaks up on Iceman. Wolverine jumps, jumps him, and says, "Oh, you got the wrong house, bub." Before Siren, one of the little girls, her scream goes off and everyone starts holding their ears. Well, right after that, he he fights this sort of soldier off. And screams at him as he plunges both claws into his chest. Now, if you're watching this with subtitles, it does not say screaming. It says ferocious roaring. (laughs) Because if you listen back to that and the same attitude that he has when he's jumping off of the balcony onto the other two. Wolverine kills people, y'all. He kills people. Doesn't suffer fools. Kills them in front of kids. That's. Thank God they did not try to like PG that up. It was like, oh, I'm going to knock him down. He kills people. And so you see it and it scares Iceman. That moment that he's got him pinned against the refrigerator, that's my best shot. And that's, that's, we're falling all about the place in the theater. Like, look at that. And then you get more of it in that scene. So I, th- yeah. I thought that shot was incredible. He's like hiding under the table, Iceman. You know, he's just <laughs> right. like very afraid. He said, like, You okay? And he just nods his head. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. What is your best scene, Cody? I'm going to give it to uh, one of our ending scenes. I'm going to I'm going to call it Gene Sacrifice, but it's mostly between uh, Scott and Logan over her death. We hear uh, Hugh Jackman's Logan kind of repeating over and over. She's gone. She's gone. And Cyclops, just that emotional outburst. Of, no, don't you say that. You know, that that kind of emotional impact for me. It's just 
in in us in these early superhero films and in this film you don't give these great actors a lot of time to really act and emote on screen and that that was an example in this film of some of two actors kind of chewing the scenery a little bit getting to really act and getting into kind of some emotional some emotional stuff with some emotional weight so i give it to that kind of sacrifice but the reaction scott and logan's reaction to gene's sacrifice somebody's working double duty because he's not able to emote with his eyes uh, so that's yeah, that's a, an incredible choice, uh, Lizzie. What's your best scene? I didn't even think about that. That's an awesome point. Uh, my best scene is the prison break scene. I just think it is so awesome, and I love watching it now. Something that flew right over my head was as a kid that I caught up now in, in this particular watch is when Mystique injects the police guard you know at the time i'm like i wonder what she's giving him and then you know you you kind of watch it still kind of not necessarily knowing exactly what she's putting inside of him and then the second that she's he's like i something's different about you i you know i can smell it like the, you've got the too much iron in your blood and then it you it clicks of, of what she put inside of him and he collects those little makes a little ball out of all of his iron i just think it's so cool and so much fun to watch. And you just get to see Ian McKellen just like have fun. And you can tell in that particular scene that Magneto is having a good time. Like he's been a caged animal this entire time. He's like, you know, never mess with a woman. And uh, I just, I love it so much. It's so great. And then he just manipulates a little ball into a disc that he just glides off yeah, on. With the two rotating, orbiting around him. Yes, it's so fun. Uh, that's my choice as well. So good call, Lizzie. Uh, it's yes. my choice as well. There's something that scene starts off with when um, Officer Florio or whatever his name is walks in. Uh, you get a close up on him in bed and you see him smiling because he knows he can sense it. He can feel it. Oh, it yeah. Uh, that's so, so cool. I love so it. Uh, okay. This is a tough one here. Who are you recasting from this movie? Oh yeah, I, we we've already kind of touched on it. This one was easy for me. This one immediately I give to Halle Berry here again. Don't want to don't want to come across as I don't like Halle Berry. She's great in a lot of films and a great actress as we kind of covered, but she was just never uh, the the casting that I would have looked for for a Storm. She doesn't kind of bring that that energy that Lizzie was kind of mentioning. You know, Storm is a character. She kind of grew up on the streets without her parents. You know, very fierce character, very uh, very strong willed. One of the the core leaders leaders of the X-Men team, you know, in the, in the comic books, you know, and here in the third film, they kind of forced her into that role and it felt very forced yep. in the last stand kind of forcing her into that leadership role. Because again, uh, Jason uh, or James Marsden went off to shoot Superman Returns, So you had to kind of Logan wasn't developed yet into your leader. So, well, we got to give it to storm, but she wasn't in those film series. Uh, you know, Halle Berry hadn't brought enough to that character to kind of earn that position within that team. So for me, it's Halle Berry is that it's kind of the easy choice of recasting here. They do something fun with her hair in all three movies. Uh, and this one is the best version of her hair. Uh, wrong superlative section. I just wanted to bring it up while we're talking about Halle Berry. Uh, <laughs> Lizzie, uh, who's your recast? Jean Grey. I, I just don't like that actress. I think perhaps if... It was someone else. I maybe could have enjoyed it. Again, I just – I think that just, – I'm just so bored when I watch her. And I think um, – and I'm again, I'm so sorry to to that actress. I know I'm I'm just dogging on you and I'm I'm very sorry. But I, I would replace her with Nicole Kidman. I think that she could bring – Nicole Kidman does a epic job with 
bringing passion into roles, the roles that she plays. And I think that kind of, I want this so badly, but I know that it's not good for me kind of emotion that I want her to feel with Logan. I think Nicole Kidman could really bring that to the table and probably also bring some color to the just kind of Phoenix fits that you were talking about earlier, Cody, as well. I just think she could have brought so much more depth to to that character. Yeah, both of you already knew someone you would want to recast. Uh, I had my choice from from the get, from the jump right away. Anna Paquin has never been my rogue, ever. Uh, the X, X-Men 1 was pretty rogue central, and uh, I, I didn't see it. I didn't feel it. Um, I think... I think this this actor, Anna Paquin, ends up doing. Tell me, is it True Blood? Do either of you know True Blood? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I love that. Is she very good in that show? Yes, that's I think I, so. That's what I've heard. Right. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't watch it. I had a, a girl I lived with for a while watched it. Um, so th- that happens in New Orleans or like in the Bayou, right? Yeah. Like yes, in like the swamps of Louisiana. Yeah. Does she have? Uh, uh, like a southern accent in the she show. does, yeah. <laughs> where she is does. it in this movie? Yeah, she does. Yeah, and it's really good. It's very believable. But I agree. I I love Anna Paquin in True Blood. I'm a huge, huge True Blood fan. Um, I I'm not a huge Rogue fan with her either. She doesn't do it for me. It, well, I mean, I guess you know, credit to Lorraine, uh, whoever the original voice actor was. But Rogue has such a incredible Louisiana voice. Her kind of the, the honey shug voice, and they try to give it to her in like X Men three, and it's just such a mess. Uh, so, but I was like, who on earth could I put in there? I was like, Christina Ricci would have been fun. Uh, she would have been, yeah. Kristen Bell would have been twenty years old. Might work. Um, then I said, you know, what would be perfect. Holly Hunter. She was born twenty years later. Holly Hunter was born in nineteen eighty five. She would have been an incredible rogue. Yeah, as a young girl, as she would girl, have been. As a girl. She would have hit it out of the park for yeah, sure. I'm in. I'm in hypothetical world. Uh, yes, but that's okay. Uh, so let's move <laughs> on to a couple of our last ones. Cody, what's your best wardrobe or makeup moment of X two? All right. Uh, so before before I give you my moment here, I need I need to touch on this because I didn't get to in our discussion. So my my moment is a, is it's makeup related as far as the superlative, but the uh, the wardrobe in this in the films and the uh, the X Men one and X two and the 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 rest of the franchise as you kind of go forward, just the dullest wardrobe decisions you could ever make for these characters. No color, no color whatsoever. Lizzie, you were talking about you recently watched. Uh, first class before we uh were were started the pot here very colorful because it was classic x-men kind of uniforms here it's just everybody in tight leather and uh it just it doesn't work for me so wanted to make that note about the wardrobe it was it's been criticized through the years to death i know but uh for me as far as uh, the the wardrobe and makeup it's got to go to alan's alan cummings nightcrawler makeup yeah. i mean for the amount of time he was in the chair and the look of that makeup you know it, not only do you get it just you know face and hands in the early scenes you know there's the scene in the church where gene is kind of inspecting his back and, and looking at his well treating his wound that she he has from being you know shot uh during the white house invasion but also looking at like again what, what we talked about that kind of scarification those angelic symbols across his body so just the amount of time and work and the look and the aesthetic of it all i think works really really well there so for me it's got to be the the makeup use for alan cummins and great comment about yeah it's almost as if they tried to matrix our characters 
they, they, they try to make our, our bright colored characters just so flat. And I, I guess I kind of get it for 2000 or for 99, 2000 to 2003. I kind of get it. But, um, oh yeah, yeah, we, we understand some of the appeal of our care. That's why, you know, some of these Avengers movies do such a great job keeping things uh, pretty, pretty accurate. Uh, what is your best wardrobe or makeup moment, Lizzie? I like Wolverine's hair. It, uh, Aaron and I got into a debate as we were watching it because he was criticizing his hair, being like, why is his hair like that? It looks ridiculous. Like they're giving him horns. I was like, well, that was what it looked like in the comics. Like that was his hair. And he was like, are you sure that wasn't a hat or something that he had on? I'm like, no, no, no. That was his haircut. Like that, they're really honoring like Wolverine in the comics and in the cartoons with that crazy hairdo and he googled it and he was like okay yeah you're right so i i liked that because seeing the the hair it made me excited because it just was like okay we're gonna like this is it wolverine is stepped into his his skin and we're here and so i i enjoyed the hair to be fair that was pretty funny we had we had a good laugh (laughs) it does get a little higher a little bit more twisty it's got a very uh, ace ventura when nature calls vibe <laughs> yes like double duty yes it's very exactly it's like, yes uh, aaron is so funny but he said was it a hat he's like what well, was like a, like a helmet or something like, like, like that a sherlock holmes style hat that only goes towards the middle and the rest of it sticks up oh or a fez but yeah, Wolverine wears a fez most of the time. He takes it off and his hair looks like that. <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, for me, uh, there were a lot of lot of choices here. Um, I went with more like a special effect here, which is when uh, Kelly Hughes' character, Lady Deathstrike, gets stuck with the adamantium and she gets injected with it, the molten metal. Then it starts to cut. She, she loses the color in her eyes because the only moment that she's no longer under the mind control is when she's expiring. So you get two seconds, three seconds of her looking at Logan, the only other person like her in the entire world. And then you get her sort of crying this adamantium. And I thought that was, it wasn't just cool. It was also artistic and followed up by a very satisfying thud in the water because mm-hmm. she's so heavy. That was smart. All right. Then there's, a, there's another character that you could uh, kind of get a little bit more narrative thrust out of that, that Wolverine and Lady Deathstrike, former lovers in the That's comic right. books. If she's working with Stryker. Why not bring that in and have some scenes between them, you know, this to kind of add to that weight of their fight and, you know, kind of like, you know, we used right. to be this and then lady, I don't know who you are kind of thing. You know what I mean? Just yeah. give that a little bit more narrative thrust between yeah. those characters. Yeah. What a gold mine of content, this world. All right, a uh, couple left here. Change one thing about this movie, Cody. Uh, I'm gonna change the script to be more reliant on our ensemble and and and, and steer away from the Wolverine centric story. Uh, the best X Men stories are to me are the ones that that include the whole team. There are some great solo standalones. Don't get me wrong, but X Men One was Rogue heavy, but it was also Wolverine heavy too. It was kind of a, a dual kind of story. You know, Rogue was definitely very much featured there, but it was very also driven by the 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 kind of twist in that film is you think it's a Wolverine story. You think Magneto wants Wolverine for his plans, but he really wants rogue in the end for his plans. But for me, you got to kind of cut down on the ensemble a little bit. You, you, if you have too many characters and you can't do them justice, cut down on them, kind of bring some of it out and, and shift your focus and, and guide your story towards more of, if you're going to have Wolverine, then don't have 
the rest of the characters in there as much and, and suffer for it. You know, and there is some good writers for this. You know, Michael Doherty, he went on to do some great things and direct, you know, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, Trick or Treat, um, Krampus, which, you know, we recently talked about on my podcast. So, that. like, it, it's, um, you know, he, he's done some good things. David Hayter as well, you know, solid snake, uh, voice actor, uh, good writer in his own regard. But I think you just got to bring the ensemble, scale it down a little bit and uh, get it away from Wolverine centric. But I understand why it was done back then in 2003. Again, you got to sell tickets and people love Wolverine. Lizzie, what is your change? One thing. So I don't know if this is actually possible with in her abilities, but this was my kind of thought to like foreshadow a little bit more for the next movie, but I would have thought it would have been interesting because I know that they try to make a lot of parallels between what Jean is capable of doing versus what Charles is capable of doing. Like they almost make it seem like she's capable of everything that he's capable of. The only main difference is in their self-control abilities. And so if that's true, I would have liked instead of the mind manipulation with Cerebro, I would have appreciated if maybe that was done through Gene rather than through Jason. I thought that maybe that would have been a little interesting to see. And maybe that would, when Charles comes to, to be able to see that she's capable of using Cerebro in that way and, cap- and has the capabilities to do all of that, if perhaps like that was something that unlocks the phoenix for her because there isn't really like a grand moment that unlocks the phoenix it's like her death and then when she arises she's just fully functioning now but it would have been kind of interesting if there was just this big epic moment that just unlocks her her full capabilities and uh and then you know leads to the events of the third movie you almost don't even really even need to have her die in order to make that happen you know but but a bit of cooler way for her to become the phoenix i think the death and then the i'm i'm back it just kind of feels like a little um like a phoenix yeah uh uh-huh exactly it's a little bit of a cop-out so i think that that would be my my change one thing uh and you know another thing is is for her to be upset at being mind controlled uh that that would be a great way to release that yes Uh, absolutely so (laughs) the one the one thing i really wanted to, to to say was Gambit was in this movie and they cut it. Give me Gambit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I had something prepared about um, our henchwomen not having a bunch to do, but th- honestly, this, this movie does a great job with uh, our female leads, uh, mostly, for the most part. So get Gambit in here. Uh, best quote, Cody. Uh, we kind of actually hit it earlier when we were talking about Pyro, but uh, I'm going to give my best quote. It's a it's a Magneto quote. Um, he tells Pyro, uh, you are a god among insects. Never let anyone tell you different. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great influencing, manipulating, just like, hey, I believe in you, too. Like that, it's a pretty cool, uh, especially for us Magneto chicas. Uh, Lizzie, what's your best quote? So in the church when uh, Storm and Nightcrawler are talking, and they're sharing their stories of kind of how they got to be here. And Nightcrawler asks Halle Berry, you know, how does, or asks Storm, I should say, like, how does that make you feel? It's just like, it makes me feel angry. And she says, uh, sometimes anger can help you survive. And he follows back up with, so can faith. And I just think it's such a wise quote. You could kind of pluck that out of this movie and use that really in almost any kind of 
movie really in any type of genre. It's just such a wise comeback to um, to motivating – having faith be your motivation rather than anger. Yeah. Well, and he's also like – he's not some saint and he's not perfect because that's the one thing he doesn't have about things he can't see. Uh, he needs to learn his mm-hmm. own – he needs to, you know, to learn his own lesson uh, to – get into the Cerebro 2 later on. Uh, so yeah, yeah, great, great option. Uh, mine actually has to do with uh, Pyro and Magneto as well, which is, uh, you know, he, the, the <laughs> Iceman, Rogue, and Pyro are sitting there in the, in the Quinjet waiting. And uh, Pyro gets up and he says, that's it. I'm sick of this kid's table beep. I'm going in there. <laughs> and Rogue says, they told us to stay here. And he looks back and says, you always do what you're told. And what I like about this is that it's not him choosing evil. It's about him choosing himself. That is pretty neat to be able to say, you know, these, all these mutants are different. It's not just good guys, bad guys. They have different things they feel. This guy just says, I like the way this guy does his thing. I tried going to school. High school dropouts aren't failures. They figure out their own way. And so he's just going to figure out his own way. And he walks in. It's, it's actually kind of poignant. He walks into the cold and immediately like starts shivering. Like, oh, it's hard alone. It's tough out here. Yeah. But then he goes and uh, he is a strong mutant. And a cool, cool just little scene there. Uh, before we get to our ratings and how we recommend this movie, Cody, I want to give you one additional opportunity to tell us a little bit more about Tal Capes. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, you know, Tal Capes, we cover film, television, comics, and games. Uh, you were talking about before kind of our inspiration, you know, the idea that we, the superhero genre is, is what is the idea and the genesis of our, our podcast. We we say that we were inspired by every child who has wrapped a towel around their shoulders and, and dreamed of being a superhero. And there's a, a famous photo that I have of me and my uncle, who, who's my co-host, doing just that when I was a, a very small child and he was a much younger man uh, as well. But I mean, we we really, we dig into the superhero genre, but we we kind of do a little bit of what you guys do. We we go all around pop culture. You know, we, we, we're not just superhero films. We, like I said, we recently covered Krampus. We do. We did Aquaman this week. Uh, we covered Violent Night as well. Like we're, we like to go kind of all over the gamut of pop culture, and and that, that and I think that's the big thing. And as we go forward into 2024, you know, we started this year. We're looking to kind of do some more things, cover some comic books, some more, do a little bit more on the gaming side, bring some other guests on as well. But yeah, we're we're really trying to kind of we're finding our, our voice, and uh, we're we're seeing some good growth, and we're having a good time doing it. And that's and that's what I told my uncle when we started this just if it ever becomes like work or second job for us that's when we know it's it's time to quit and so far so good on that end but yeah i, I think it's uh i think it's something that uh it might be worth your time if you check it out we, we really try to strive to kind of give some good content give you something good to listen to and hopefully we're doing that nice. yeah we've been a great guest on our show so thank you for sharing that uh give us here on the round table we rate movies from 0.5 to 5 stars Five is our max. 0.5 is our worst. Half star increments. How do you rate X2? So for me, coming back to this, like I said, when I was when I was a child, this was probably in the early days when there wasn't as many superhero films. You know, I was 13 years old when I saw this in the cinema. And, you know, probably back then for me, it was a nine or a 10. You know, the, the excitement for the X-Men 
the excitement for comic book movies had never kind of been higher. We had some of the the the, the bad days coming into the, the Schumacher Batman film, <laughs> some of the lesser Superman sequels, and comic books were on a downturn. And, and you know, that early, that late 90s period of Blade and Spider-Man, Spider-Man 2, X-Men, X-Men the 2. Punisher. Kind of changed all those things. Yeah, the early Marvel Punisher, Thomas Jane Punisher as well, 2004. Um, that, those kind of... The, those things kind of changed and, and, con- and it, it kind of led to comic books being where it is today for better or for worse. Um, but for me, it's still, it's still a film. It still holds up. There are problems with it that I have. It isn't an eight or nine for me back as it was back then based on the scale that we're using here today. I'm going to give it three and a half stars. I think it's a really solid film. I think it kind of fits in there. It still holds up to this day. There's still a lot to kind of mine from it and a lot of, a lot of good fun to have. And there's still some good character moments, even though it is a little bit overstuffed uh, at points overstuffed but not so much as to as to take up multiple plates because it's still just right around i think two hours five two hours ten and so it has not reached the the three hour mark yet that some of these movies are nowadays which listeners know will cause me to be not so pleasant lizzie uh (laughs) what is your rating of x2 so for me there i'm going to be generous with with this movie and give it a five-star rating. I love watching this movie for the main reason that I will rewatch this movie probably often now that I've revisited it as an adult and I know that I like it. This is something that I will dive back into probably soon. And that's the biggest thing for me with my rating system. There are scenes in this in this movie that I dislike and there's scenes that fall flat or feel forced that I have talked about. But when it's there's far more good scenes, and the good scenes are superb. And I just have so much fun watching this movie. And I think in terms of a superhero movie, it really has a little bit of everything. I feel like that's kind of a cliche selling point that you give somebody when you're trying to get them to this watch a movie. But it truly does have a little bit of everything. And it is just it's fresh still like watching it 20 plus years later. Like I have just as much fun and I just, I adore it. It is fresh. It's a 4.5 fresh for me. Uh, I, I thought I was being generous uh, with my four and a half. Uh, When I mentioned all the stuff it has, it does have them and the fun that it has is fun. And the dialogue is incredible. And the, our characters are fun and it's okay that Jean gray is a drag and it's okay that Storm isn't really utilized the most. Uh, Lizzie, you and I were chatting uh, earlier today, and you said you watched X-Men, X2, X- X-Men 3, The Last Stand, and Days of Future Past in what? What would you say? Four days? Five? Something like, I mean, it's kind of like crazy that yeah. I, how quickly, we, well, we didn't watch any Christmas movies this past week. We watched <laughs> X-Men. Like, I literally have an Instagram story that I'm wrapping presents to an X-Men movie, and I'm like, Keeping it festive over here. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I did, I did X2 and then immediately watched X-Men 3 and I was like, wow, X2 really nailed it because X3 doesn't. No. Yeah. Agreed. So, so with X2, I'm going, I'm going four and a half and I think it's generous. And I, I would say like, it would be this movie and Spider-Man 2 of our early 2000s area, like Cody, we were just kind of talking about. Those are, those are two of the finest sequels that I've ever seen in my life. Great. And I'm not a sequel guy. 
as our listeners will know. So like the, the, there's something special about these. And so um, only reason I would maybe uh, give Spider-Man 2 uh, any, any, any head above this at all is, uh, is our music, uh, which, which is in this movie didn't stand out to me, but exists and gives you the feeling that you want. Uh, and it's, so this is, this is about the highest recommendation I can give to a superhero movie. Uh, but I need I need some options to to choose for next time. Yes, absolutely. Now, Dustin, you say you're not a sequel guy, but you've got to grin and bear it for one more week because we are going to do another sequel. So buckle up. Option one, we have got 1999's Toy Story 2. When Woody is stolen by a toy collector, Buzz and his friends set out on a rescue mission to save Woody before he becomes a museum toy property with his roundup gang, Jesse, Prospector, and Bullseye. Option two, The Hunger Games, Catching Fire from 2013. Katniss Everdeen and Peeta Malark become targets of the Capitol again after their victory in the 74th Hunger Games and sparks a rebellion in the districts of Panem. Option three, 1991's Terminator 2, T2, Judgment Day, a cyborg identical to the one who failed to kill Sarah Connor, is now set out to protect her 10 years later, the old son of John from an even more advanced and powerful cyborg. The gold standard, the gold medal, the paragon of sequels, Terminator 2 Judgment Day. There is no- T2. Yeah, it's got to be T2. I mean, when if we're talking about successful sequels, I don't think you can even have that conversation without talking about Terminator 2. I feel like it feels, it's just, it's wrong. T2 belongs on the best sequel list. Need your clothes your boots and your motorcycle. I, I, I don't know if I'm going to be on this episode, but I can't believe I'm the one that gets to choose it because, oh, it's so great. You have anything to say about Terminator 2, Cody? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I completely agree with you guys. And that, and that discussion of like, you know, the sequels that may, you could argue are better than the original, you know, you have the short list is Terminator 2, Empire Strikes Back. You know, those those are your those are your the 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 big two that people are going to come to easily. Um I love, you know, another sequel that people kind of debate as well, Aliens from James Cameron, another James Cameron film. Some people love Aliens more than the original Alien. So there's kind of your short list there, but uh fantastic film. Yeah. Uh, that, that that's something I hope that we can cover for uh for our podcast one day in the future as well. If anything, it's a perfect excuse to watch Aliens again. Uh we covered it last year. Uh, it's it's so good. Another one. The I know I'm not a sequel guy. I think Ace Ventura: When Nature Calls is better than the original. Ooh, I agree with that. I really, really, really agree with that. One hundred percent. I actually don't like the first one, but I love the second one where like he's in the wilderness and yeah, yes, yes, yes. I like that one. This is weird. I feel I feel my uh, myself changing. My my general attitude is I'm not a sequel guy. We're talking about all the best sequels of all time. I think you can only count them on one hand. Uh, the best sequels, uh, the ones that are, that are really, really worth it. Uh, we could definitely have a specialty show where we talk about sequels. That would be really fun. <laughs> I am sick that day. Well, thank you, <laughs> Cody. And thank you, all the lords, ladies, and knights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at movie underscore retro. Email us at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. Producing and providing this podcast is fun, but not free. We invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash retromovieroundtable. 
any contribution is much appreciated and will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners. As always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Lizzie? The secret impresses no one. The trick you use it for is everything.